Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I'm Andrew, an autistic certified financial planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, everyone. I'm Eileen Lamb. And in this podcast, we want to highlight real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but real people talking about their boring life. Basically, we want to give a voice to people like us. And today, our guest is Morenike. And I think we're going to have you say your full name uh, so we don't make any mistake. Hi, Morenike. Hi. So it's Morenike Giwa Onaiwu, but that's like long. So I usually sign everything as MGO. So uh, Morenike is an educator, writer, public speaker, parent, global advocate, proactive resources professional, disabled woman of color, and multicultural, neurodiverse, zero different family. Uh, Marana Kay, who is American-born to immigrant parents, possesses undergraduate and graduate degrees to international relations and education. She is passionate about human rights, justice, and inclusion. Marana Kay has written for or been featured in numerous blogs, abstracts, magazines, books, other platforms, often drawing from her personal experience as a late diagnosed uh, autistic adult woman, a person of color, an autistic parent of autistic and non-autistic children, and a survivor of intimate partner violence. Welcome. Thanks. That was so long. Or that, like, bio, I need to shorten it. <laughs> <laughs> I shorted, we, we did actually shorten it a little bit for you. So I go through the same struggle every time I have to share one. So, yeah. Hey, Morenike, thanks for, uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, we always start by asking our guests uh, how they like to identify, and I'm talking about pronouns and also your identity as an uh, autistic person or person with autism. Sure. So for pronouns, um, I've, all my life I've been using she, her, hers, so I'm kind of attached to them. I don't want to change, but I also use they, them, theirs. So people can use them interchangeably, use one or the other. It doesn't really matter um, as I identify as a non-binary woman to both work. Um, in terms of the other part, um, I, I, for the most part, use autistic person um, you know, or autistic, or I might use on the spectrum. I almost never, I'm trying to think, do I ever for myself use person first? It's an additional syllable, you know, you know, person, you know with autism, autistic. <laughs> so actually one example there was a co there's a company uh that's driving with autism and i and i think that's appropriate though because driving while autistic yeah. just sounds too much like a dui right so well yeah so it's, it's interesting because like i don't i i don't like the way words sound so i used to not like ick things like you know epileptic diabetic so when i go for autistic ugh. It just was like the sound of it I didn't like, but just the idea of like with, you know, like, you know, like a lot of people say, um, you know, the whole, like, it's not something that, you know, we, with the way that a lot of us think, you know, we're fairly concrete and we're not carrying it around with us, you know, that just sounds and feels, you know, odd. And so it's, it's, it's something that's kind of interwoven. So, yeah, it's just, but I can understand like, the driving thing is like, totally different because like. When you're driving while autistic, I maybe think, oh, you know, like you said, DWI or driving while black, getting stopped, you know, like, eh, yeah, let's <laughs> not go there. <laughs> so tell us about your autism diagnosis, but also what was it like uh, being uh, an autistic parent at a support group led by, quote, 
autism moms? <laughs> okay, which one should I say first? I probably uh, do the second one because it's shorter, but it doesn't matter. Go, go, just do the second one. I kind of always ask the first one, but I, I, I want to, I want to know the answer to the second one more. So maybe you can relay them sure. together. Yeah, I'll try. Um, and so apologies if anybody who's listening, if you've heard this before, but it's just it's what happened. <laughs> like, so, um, so I remember my children's diagnosis preceded my own. And so um, I think I'll try to answer them both if that can make sense. And so I remember, um, you know, being my, you know, the whole, my daughter's diagnosis, you know, and then, um, my son wasn't being evaluated, but he wasn't yet fully diagnosed yet. When you know, I just was, I remember just really kind of countering everything they said. Like, no, she's doing this because of this reason. This happens because of this. Well, this is why you do this. Well, this means this. And they were like looking at me so weird. And I was like, I mean, don't you do that? Or didn't you do that? And they were like, and I just was like, I was like, that's just her trying to do this. That's not autism. They're like, um, that's autism. And like, and I was like, well, I always do that, or I do this, or when I do this, it means this, or whatever. And so eventually they were like, um, okay, have you ever been evaluated? And I was like, no, why? And like, skimming at some time while they're saying this, right? And they're like, because if I diagnosed adults, uh, yeah, I would be, you, you know, ping my opt-ar. And I was like, you think I need to be evaluated? And like, I was really like confused. And they were like, you're just like your kids who are on the spectrum. And I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever. I just went to for the heck of it. You know what I mean? Just because, you know, whatever. And so I was, it was just very interesting because like I, at first I was like, mm, no, but the more I read, I, it just it, like essentially before I got the formal diagnosis, when I read more closely, you know, the actual, you know, information about autism and not what people talk about, um, I essentially self-diagnosed. I was like, oh, wow. You know, it's kind of like when I was looking into it for my daughter, but now I was looking at it for myself. So um, before going, and I went to two different people because it was, there was not as many people who diagnose or evaluate adults as there are, you know, children. And so I was on two waiting lists. And so it just so happened that um, they both called me, with, you know, within a very short period of time. So I was like, let me just go for it, just for the heck of it, second opinion. Because, you know, I don't, I mean, you know, people are always looking at Google and like, self-diagnosing themselves with stuff that they absolutely do not have. So I was just like, whatever, what's the heck of it? And so, yeah, got the diagnosis. And uh, it's funny because I hear a lot about people, um, you know, talking about self-diagnosis or complaining about it. I'm thinking a lot of parents, there's research that indicates that uh, most parents who suspect their child might have an autism diagnosis are typically correct. Um, and I would venture to say it's probably the same with adults as well, except there's barriers. But moving back to the support group thing, I remember feeling like so super excited because I was like, I'm going to be like, you know, around people who understand. They're not going to be, you know, wanting to know why doesn't your child talk or why does your child do this? Or why do you have to, you know, carry this around or, you know, be all weird. They're going to be understanding. So I don't have to like look at it as ashamed like you are often in a lot of those mommy and me type groups when your child won't, you know, toe the line, so to speak. I was like, these are people who understand autism and who love their kids just like I love mine and it's going to be awesome. You know, my people, I'm just like super excited. And so because I just felt so alienated from people that I've known and loved so many years who just didn't have any type of compassion or understanding, you know, that telling me my child's spoiled or my child needs to be spanked or whatever, you know, ridiculous things, you know, comments that people make. 
or not wanting to go places with them because you're, so, you're going to get kicked out because of your child's reaction or whatever. And so I remember thinking, I'm in there. I had been looking forward to it. Um, and I'm like there and I'm just like, super excited. I'm like, you know, I, I just feel like this is going to be like, you know, sisterhood. Like I'm meeting these people is going to find. And um, they start talking about how, like, you know, in this, this emotive tone, you might as well have gotten a violin about how it was like, like September 11th, like, like the Twin Towers being attacked, the diagnosis. And they're nodding and people are like starting to weep. And I'm looking around, like, and, you know, and in the whole meeting, people are, are it's basically a bitch session, in my language. I know it's an adult thing, whatever. And I almost never get to use any profanity when my kids are not around. <laughs> but um, everybody talking about how horrible autism is, how much it ruins their life. They can't go to yoga. They can't go get coffee. They can't do this. They can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. How much it ruins their life. And I'm thinking, I'm just sitting in here like dying inside. I'm thinking, you think having a child like me, having a child like my children that are my freaking world that I love is like a terrorist attack that killed you really think this? Like you're equating this to this and you all agree? You know, I just like trembling. Like, I, I, I just, I, I can't even imagine. I, I, I just, it couldn't have been worse because I had been anticipating and so happy and so excited to be here with people who were going to understand me. But they didn't, they weren't here to understand. They were here to battle and to hate um, something that's an integral part, whether we like it or not, of who their children are and who my children are. And it was horrible. It was absolutely horrifying. Um, and I, I was in a room full of people and yet I'd never felt so alone. The, the reason uh, we really wanted to have you on, on this podcast, Marenike, and it's, it's because you have, um, I guess, well-balanced view on the, what's going on in the uh, autism, autistic community, and we don't agree on a lot of things, but we are still able to have these conversations in a res respectful way without insulting each other. And I think that's how we're going to change things uh, by having these conversations in a, a polite way. And um, I anyway, so. <laughs> I, I, I want to hear from you. What, what do you sure. think about this infighting within our community? What do you think we can do uh, to come together? You know, I, my instinctive reaction, what I wanted to say immediately was I hate it because I do hate it. So um, I know that they say, you know, the absence of, you know, discord is not real conversation and for anything to happen, there has to be, you know, turmoil and you don't want stagnant waters and all those other little cliches and things about um, how things happen. You know, you know, people are not always going to agree a constructive dialogue. I think that that's true. I think that there's never going to be, you know, um, unity in all points of view. But I don't recall who it is that that saying um, in essential things, um, you know, um, unity in non-essential things, um, something, and in all things charity. I can't remember. It's like some um, saint. Um, I'll see if I can find the quote, but um, I, that's, I basically feel like there's one thing to have different views. There's a whole other thing to just demonize one another, an entire side or an entire group of people, or to completely discount a perspective or point of view because of who it came from or because of the way it was stated. I feel like it, you know, it's very toxic. It's very 
painful and hurtful. Um, I see it in the way that I see a lot of the political discussions, you know, this, this, you know, political party and this political party, um, in that it's become so divisive. And it, I don't think it was ever really, you know, like, you know, kumbaya, you know, all, it, you know, together. But I think that it's become, um, you know, polarized in a way that's very harmful um, to everyone. And, and, and I, I understand that there's a lot of emotion on both sides and pain and wanting to be heard. And, and I think there's also a lot of misunderstanding of one another's positions, too, um, because I think there's things that both sides believe about the other that's like complete crap. And if they would just sit and listen, talk, or read instead of assuming things, they, could, they would figure out there's common ground. And then there's areas where there are not. And I think that, you know, there are, there's, I don't know who said this, but there's a saying about basically when, it, when a person's point of view or opinion infringes upon one's civil rights or human rights or rights exist, and then it's no longer just an opinion, and, you know, it's become weaponized. And that is something I do agree with, um, you know, that there are, that everyone has your boundaries you know, or your um, non-negotiables. But I still, at the end of the day, these are all people, fellow human beings. And in a many times, you know, and a lot of the time, these are people who care and want, you know, the best for, you know, you know individuals who are on the spectrum, um, even if they don't agree what the best is. And so I feel like all this shouting at each other, while justified, because like on both sides, I've seen both sides start drama, start fights. It's like I've seen both sides be hella bullish, you know what I mean? And um, whether they intended to or not. And I just think that eventually you need to, like, put the gun down and, like, talk and negotiate a ceasefire um, before everything around us burns. Yeah, well, that's why I'm so thankful you're here today because, you know, we've tried to invite people from, uh, quote, uh, the other side. Um, and... <laughs> It's just like people don't want to have these discussions, you know? And the thing is, if we don't have them, nothing changes, right? That frustrates me um, because, like, it, it, because it, I, I just think, like, I understand, like, people needing to, you know, self-care, people needing to protect themselves. And so as a person, you know, who, you know, is a survivor of intimate partner violence, I understand that in some cases you need to keep healthy distance you know, between yourself and certain you know, situations because it's just not, you know, emotionally wise for you to engage in such discussions. In some cases, I, I absolutely um, support and agree, but at some point, somebody has to do something. Somebody has to say something. Everyone can't, oh, no, that's too triggering. Oh, that's too much. Oh, I don't want to be there. It's too much work. Or it's going to take too long to get through to them. Or they, they already judge me anyway. Or whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, like, I don't think that... I really hope that it's not to the point where we're Fox News to each other. You know what I mean? Like, just to like, you know, like just a foregone conclusion that it's, you know, like, I, I don't know. I mean, at times it feels that way. I think we certainly have rattles, you know, on, but I really feel like most people on both sides really care really deeply. And that's why they're fighting. That's why this hurts so much. That's why um, they can come in with their, heart on their sleeve and, and maybe their foot in their mouth, um, but they're not given grace and space, you know, as my friend used to say. Someone other, they're not, no, the people don't have, you know, don't assume good intentions. They um, laser in on certain points or certain perspectives and invalidate everything that the other person is saying without taking the time to, to think about their 
experiences, their perspectives, or their knowledge. Do you think there's enough uh, representation of color in the autistic community? What can we Hell do? To Okay. It was a bit of like a rhetorical I'm question. Sorry. It was kind of like setting you up for that. Like, I mean, I, I, I kind of knew the answer, right? But I really, really, it's the second part of the question that, that you know. So um, let me, it's so interesting. So like, I, I told you all about how I was put on a waiting list, you know, before I got my formal diagnosis. And so in the meantime, you know, I was reading, devouring, you know, you do those up till three in the morning things that, you know, just like I did for my kids, you know, I was doing for myself now, reading everything that you get your hands on about everything, every single type of idea or forum or, or, you know, account that someone has or articles or not tables. And I remember coming across a few different assessments about autism. And I came across a few of them with my kids too. And it was just hilarious to me about like the amount of people with blue eyes who are autistic or the amount of people who hair is like this and I'm thinking okay so I guess like no people of color are autistic then because like <laughs> like these ridiculous um so-called criteria are seen for such a, a a narrow lens um without even having an understanding of the fact that that's not everybody's reality um I remember some of the people that I um that I you know consider friends or colleagues um in the autistic community are people that I met simply because I was so excited to see another face that was brown, even if it wasn't, it wasn't you know, as dark as mine. You know, I was so, I'm so excited to finally see in this sea of thousands of people, parents and professionals, almost all, that, oh my gosh, it's a person of color. Like, I almost like wanted to run to them and like grab them and hug them and it's not me. You know, because it's like, there was so much invisibility. Like, I live in the fourth largest city in America. And when I would go to autism-related events, you know, sensory-friendly things or whatever, you know, with your children, people would immediately know to come bring me my kids when it was time to over. Like, I mean, that's how little diversity there were at these things in terms of, you know, not only the fact that I have both a son and a daughter, so the, the gender part, um, that she was almost always the only girl a lot of the time, but also the race. All of, so many of the examples, you can literally, I've done this before. Google autism or, or, autistic, or a child with autism or whatever, or do like an image search. I haven't done this in a few years, so maybe it's improved. But like the amount of white faces that just like you see is just like everywhere. And then we ask people when they think about autism, they think Temple Grandin, white. They think Rain Man, white. They think atypical, uh, parenthood. We are going, like we don't exist unless when people need to raise money. When they need to raise money, all these are all those brown, brown faces in there. You know what I mean? And all, or when you want to use us for an example to help, you know, when people need something, then we are like your soft story. You know, it's almost kind of like the election year. Um, it's, aside from the fact that it's just wrong, that it's not representative, and it doesn't help any of us have a full understanding, it also really, truly, literally hurts lives. Um, you know, in terms of the late diagnosis, um, you know, so many, you know, and you can control for income and educational attainment and insurance type and geographic location and all of these other factors. You can control for all of those things because everyone will try to say these other social determinants. Oh, well, people of color are more likely to be on Medicaid. Oh, they're more likely to be safe control, all of that, right? Because we can do all that with data. And then you still have a huge lag in, in the, you know, time of diagnosis in the um, acquisition of, of services and treatment, in all of these things. You have it. You have it in the private sector, you know, amongst uh, the clinicians. You have it in research, which is the worst. You have it in the school districts. 
it's just there. There is a huge race problem. And so I guess the first thing I'd say that, um, I guess to answer your question, what we need to do about it is recognize it because we have not, we all say that we have, we have not because we wouldn't, this wouldn't still be happening. We haven't recognized anything. We just know that's what you're supposed to say. Just like if someone said, are you racist? You're supposed to say no, or, you know, you're supposed to answer just, or how are you? You're supposed to say fine. You know, regardless of what the true answer is, you're supposed to instinctively just give an answer because that's actually the truth, right? There's no other alternative. Of course we know it's a problem, but we're doing nothing about it. And when we continue to have um, situations, you know, where there's almost no representation, I'll use the Lancet, um, you know, that, that was recently released. I emailed, you know, um, Dr. Ward and the other people, and I know that they made a big effort to try to be a lot more inclusive um, than people have in previous years in terms of global north and global south and gender and perspective. But at the end of the day, there were zero autistic people of color in an internationally commissioned, um, you know, report that, was, that you know, spanned over three or four years with 30-something people. Zero. There were, I think, um, there, there was, let's see, I think one, maybe two black people, neither are autistic. There were a few people who were Latin. I mean, it's just like, um, this is, that's, you know, if you do research, you know, often people talk a lot about how, you know, you know, there's a lot of meta-analyses that look at the fact that a lot of research, especially recent research, it wasn't like this in the beginning, of, you know, when autism was, you know, newer, but a lot of um, research in the past decade, um, maybe I'd say even two decades or a decade and a half, have um, really, really excluded people who are non-speaking or people who have intellectual, intellectual disabilities, um, like my oldest son who's non-autistic. You know, basically people want to enroll who they want to enroll, what's easier for them to enroll. And so we're looking at the same community over and over and not looking at the totality of the community. I would ask people to do the same with race. Pull these, because I read research, I'm a big nerd. Pull these, look at the research. If they, if they report race, because a lot of times they don't because they don't want to, uh, either because they have very little diversity or because they just assume everyone's white. What do you say anything about race for? Of course it's white. You know, but look at the data. Look at these um, the, the groups. Look at study after study after study after study. And you find we are non-existent. And so when we have presentations that don't match someone else, then it isn't noticed and we are, um, you know, told we're paranoid or we're, um, or whatever, or we, you know, my son has a pediatric heart disease because of medical racism. You know, we are, no one, people don't have an understanding of how these things work in communities of color and it's putting our lives at risk, not just in terms of what we receive, you know, in terms of diagnosis or, or understanding, but how we're, um, how we, you know, are, how people relate to us, you know, it's to when and if you're in a situation, um, you know, with, with the Matthew Russian situation, you know, or um, Eli Latson, they see black folks. They see autism maybe 10th. <laughs> they don't see it right away. You get treated like a black person. But unfortunately, a black person who doesn't know that mama said we have to talk and, you know, be still and say yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and don't move because they might think you're grabbing for something and don't repeat what they said to process maybe in your brain, you know, they do what you do, need to do to stay alive in a situation, be robotic, follow the rules. You can't do that when you're, you know, neurodivergent and scared and of color and that can cost you your life, literally. It's a huge problem and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of um, people having conferences and you have not a single 
um, you know, autistic person of color um, as, a, as anybody but maybe some panelists who got a $200 gift card if they were lucky, if they got anything. Um, or when they're not on your research, when you look at the research teams or you look at the, the anything, when, I, when everything that's autism related, when you look at staff, like the people who are in charge who make decisions, there are so few people like me. We don't exist. It's sick. Can you share with us uh, a mistake that you made in your earlier advocacy days and what you learned from it? I know we talked earlier offline how companies, mm -hmm. people make mistakes and it's good when they learn from, from them. So is there, is there a mistake you made and did you learn anything from it? And additionally, uh, what did you get right uh, from the start? <laughs> um, I guess one thing that I think I got right from the start was Even before, like, before I knew anything about autism, I was completely, I was really ignorant. It just wasn't a part of my life. And I, um, but I had been fortunately um, involved in, like, social justice advocacy and, you know, refugee resettlement. You know, my, my family is multicultural. We have, you know, we're, uh, you know, both a biological and adoptive family. There's just a lot of things. I've always, I've always been, um, and then I guess also being autistic, you know, we kind of, it's not that autistic people can't have biases, but, you know, it's, it's just, we kind of, are, we don't, follow social norms and the rules. So I've always cared about, like, you know, and respected difference and understanding that things can coexist in, you know, in, you know, in different, you know, capacities and that it's not scary or horrible or bad just because it's different. And so I've always applied that philosophy to the advocacy that I do, you know, with autism. And I did, um, I actually came into, um, like, I, the people who nurtured and trained me as, an, as a baby advocate are people who were um, like part of the um, HIV activism, like the ACT UP, you know, um, like luminary, the people who were really involved in like treatment advocacy. And so these are the people who um, like were, you know, like coaching and guiding me. I was looking at these people that were like gods to me. And these people use person-part language because it's, it's not trying to separate themselves from the, you know, because that's, you know, it's all about the meaning. These people and emphasize I am a person living with HIV because people once thought it was a death sentence. That's a radical move. And I know that people don't understand that, you know, the, the when person first language came out, that's what its intent was. And I think things do evolve. And again, identity first language goes to me, you know, like a better fit. But is it the language that's so confusing or is it the, what's the reason behind? These are people who wanted to be involved. Nothing about us without us perspective is something that you see. These are people who were, you know, chaining themselves to the building and bum-rushing doors because they wanted to be part of research. They wanted to be part of decision-making and policy. They wanted to be, in, they wanted to impact things that had to do with their lives. They didn't want to be just, just talked about in a, in a stigmatizing manner. The gender principles is, you know, it's like the Magna Carta, you know, of the HRV world but in terms of the way that you should not use stigmatizing communication. The autism community is so far behind. The idea of having... Um, you know, community collaborators who actually have, like, you know, who are seen, at, you know, in a mutually respectful way and not just tokenized, um, or really involving people or um, expending resources to educate people, talking about people in a way that explains what's going on but doesn't belittle them. We haven't gotten there <laughs> as a community. So that's the way I think I've done right is to implement some of these things, you know, with these kind of transdisciplinary, you know, views and values, inclusive values into my work. But a mistake that I made, my goodness, was I naive when I came <laughs> into this. Because I came in first with my mommy hat on, right? I came in as a mom. And so, um, and, that's, and that's, I'm a mom first, last, and always before I'm anything else. 
My kids come first. Everything else comes second. And so I came into this with the mom hat and later, you know, put on the, the, you know, the self-advocate hat. And I still wear both hats. And I feel like I ignorantly assumed in the beginning that um, people, you know, would have understanding or, or caring for both sides. Like, I felt that, you know, parents would not have problems or be, you know, cruel to someone who could be the way their child is when they grow up, you know, 20, 30 years. And I thought people on the other side, when adults would understand that parents are scared, parents are lost, parents are going through a lot, and they're not, you know, they're not getting much sleep because they have lots of children <laughs> and that they're, you know, going to bumble around some, but they, they mean well. I thought that, that goodwill would be given on both sides. So I was ignorant enough to try to, like, do things, you know, activities or, or you, know, um, in, you know, like, you know, events, involvement, or even, like, virtual communication where I was, you know, bringing people that, you know, I worked with from different, in different sectors, you know, this parent group or this self-advocate group. And it was like oil and water. Oh, my goodness. The sparks just, I realized very quickly, wow, these people hate each other. <laughs> this is not going to work. Bringing people together, like, this is not going to work. I'm sadly going to have to segment myself. And I'll be, when I work over here, I do this. And I work over here, I do that. And I work over here and do that. I can't be my whole self in any, in any of these places because people will not allow me to. They don't want to see one another as people. And so because I refuse to take a side, um, you know, then it's kind of like, you know, and so I think it's, a, it's not bad that I necessarily refuse to take a side, although I do have my, my ideals and my values to do you know, kind of lean more one direction, but what, because I refused to see the other side, to demonize the other side, um, I made the mistake of thinking, okay, since you don't hate the other, you know, you, you, know, you don't hate people, you know, who are, who are different, they're just different from one another, surely they can work together, surely they can respect one another, and they can talk, and they can collaborate, and make change, surely they can look past their differences. Nope, that was the wish. I'm cringing thinking about some like social media stuff where I tag people who I have no idea like hate each other and like or like I'm trying to raise money and people pulling out because this organization is involved in it and I'm just thinking about this like I was so naive I truly thought we were just this one big loving community where we could be one and you know I, I know better now. <laughs> what what can you do for and and I I, I feel like it's almost almost like some sort of like right a passage for the vast majority of like adults who are diagnosed late in life to like have like a six month to a one month where like um, they attack people like I lead. Right um, now, or, or that's how they feel or like, you know, I don't, I don't know. maybe that's a, maybe that's a white autistic thing. I'm not saying that people of color don't do it too. You know, they, they drink a lot of the Kool-Aid too, but I, like, I, I've never understood having that, that. So I, I actually thought you were going to say six months to one month period where you're like, um, honeymoon and love. You can get the whole autistic community is all, you know, um, peace and love and, and harmony because that's, that's what I truly thought. I was like, I finally found my people and da 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 you know, but, you know like I, I thought about the parents. I guess I'm forever searching for where you are. So, like, it's shocking to me to hear about because actually when I first came in, a lot of the things that, you know, like, um, happened where I, I, I was being attacked left and right and, like, by parents um, because of not wanting, you know, not saying, like, why did you put that video of your child doing this or whatever, you know, if we're going to, I'm messaging someone, hi, I see you posted this, I'm one of the moderators, I'm going to hide this, because 
narcissist to invasive and then getting cursed out and being told that, what do I know? I'm a high functioning, I'm mildly, I think I'm probably not really autistic anyway, I don't know anything about their child, I don't know anything about autism, blah, 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 blah. Like, just the way people would just come at us as raw, you know, was horrible. But I, but I, but I've also seen, you know, see, I've seen, I've seen the flip side of that. I've seen someone go into, I've read some of Eileen's posts where someone, Eileen will post something and I've seen people just like lose it. And, <laughs> I don't get it. No, and I actually think you bring up like an interesting point. I actually think that a lot of the, you know, let's call it that honeymoon period really can go either way, right? Um, or, or like a bit of both. And, and even, or a lot of just self, you know, uh, discovery. I, I don't know. So I, I really don't even know what my point there was anymore. No, but um, I actually want to say something because it was a good question and I kind of sort of went tangential, which is hard not to do being autistic and ADHD, but, but I want to say this. Um, so I, there are a few names like that you hear in different, you know, in communities and you're like, when you hear their name, you like cringe because it's like Voldemort, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, um, so apparently the, the you know, Eileen Lamb is supposed to be one of those people. And I guess for some people you are too, but not for the same reason. I really don't give a sleep. You probably, you might be also like people, you know, every, if there's a certain way that activism has to be done and if it's not done that way, you're all going to sell out the end. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, <laughs> and so if you're not talking about certain things, if you're not using the loudest voice, you know, but I'm being sarcastic, but I should have <laughs> used a sarcastic tone, but, <laughs> but, um, so everyone was like, basically, I, I don't even remember where, but I remember reading, you know, what I read wasn't positive, like, you know, about this person. And so I always make my own conclusion. Like, I mean, if we're, it depends. Every time I Hitler, I don't need to, I don't need to research for myself. I can go ahead and go with the majority. You know what I mean? Like, so, but, but for things that I'm not, uh, if I, that I don't know about, I need to know for myself. I need to research for myself. I need to come up with my own opinion. So I started researching this, uh, this person that was just looking so horrible, such an internalized ableist, you know, and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and I didn't see the things that they were talking about. Cause like, I've seen autistic people who are, have got tons of internalized ableism. I won't say names, but there, there are some people who seriously need their therapist to like move in. You know what I mean? Like there's people who have major hatred of themselves, um, and, um, have issues and are really, really inappropriate. And I read most of what I read was stuff I could post this. I see this person posting about her beautiful baby, her voice. Oh my gosh, freaking adorable. Uh, and I see someone posting about their thoughts and their ideas and their own because of what they're dealing with and talking about, um, you know, different manifestations of autism and different, you know, um, you know, strengths and challenges and sharing things. I didn't see, I didn't see anyone going over the top. I didn't see any picture. I didn't see um, Eileen posting her son and her son is crying and having a hard time and instead of comforting him like a mother should, she wants to get this footage so she can put it online. So everybody can say, whoa with me. Oh, you poor thing. How you're dealing with this. Oh my gosh. Um, I see someone that, you know, shares reality, um, good things and bad things, but in a tasteful way, not in a way to where any of her children are going to wake grow up and be horrified about what she wrote about them and said. I do see some things I disagree with because I haven't been in this longer, and, you know, and because you know, there's certain things, there's certain contexts that I have, you know, because also my graduate degree is in, you know, special education. So I have a certain context about things that, you know, that, you know, I learned that my kids are a little older too, you know. And so, um, but for the most part, there's only that I can see, and, and I haven't read everything, but there's one thing that I 
completely, completely think it's totally, totally like ridiculous and wrong and trash. But other than that, other stuff is just more, I feel like different of opinion, different of opinion. And some of it is the same opinion. And it, it makes me sad that our community, I'm like, make up your own mind. Like, are you going to not eat something or shop somewhere or do something because someone hates it? How do you know you hate it? Did you read it for yourself? Did you come up with your own opinion? Did you ask this person and see if this is really what they felt or what they meant? Because maybe you'd have a better understanding if you did instead of just being a follower. What I think you just, I mean, first of all, thank you for, you know, not just believing what you read online and, you know, trying to, to have your own opinion about things because you, you nailed it. I think that's a big issue right now is that uh, there is like a hive mind type of thing going on. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. People don't try and have their own opinion about things that if, you know, uh, someone says, let's go ahead on that person we're just going to go do it. Mm-hmm. I won't, but, um, and yeah. it's sad. But, yeah, and also, it yeah. There are a lot of young people in the, you know, uh, youngly yeah. self-diagnosed yeah. or diagnosed like adults. And it's a very vulnerable time for, for these people. And, you know, yeah. when you're young, I that mean, me, 10 years ago, honestly, I would have been like so happy to belong to like a, a community before mm-hmm. having kids. I yeah. feel like I would have, being that person if I'm being honest just like because it's just mm. so good to be part of something and you know if you tell me this person yeah. is bad and I'm like 20 you know I might go yeah. do it then you're know? gonna go have their back you see, yeah. you see it as all your life you're, you know people like you have been beaten up on attacked and so you see it as you're circling the wagons you know to use the phrase around your, your you know one of your own you don't need to know the story it's kind of like I joke about Black people, like when, if, if one of us, and, you know, if one of us starts if running, we get, or if we see people running, we just start running. While we're running, we might be like, why are we running? But we don't wait and say, why are we running? And what's going on? No, you can get shot asking stupid questions. Run first, ask later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you react. And so, because that's how you stay alive. You don't even know the reason. You know, figure out the reason later. But, you know, survive first. And so I think they, a lot of them see it as survival because people have been so gaslit, so disenfranchised, so, you know, mistreated so disregarded as us the people that, um, you know, that they see that everything looks like a nail, you know, because that's what they're accustomed to see. So let me ask you. Whatever the phrase is. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best therapy for uh, autistic children? Is it ABA or not? Okay. So I would say the best therapy for autistic children is love. That's what I'd say first. And then I'd say it's something that's individualized, but I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, these things because I think that when people are, people are talking about actually apples and oranges, and sometimes they're talking about oranges and basketball when they're communicating with one another. Um, I've done a lot of research on this, and like I mentioned, my graduate degrees in special education, you know, concentration in, um, you, know, um, you know, child development and neurodevelopment and disabilities. I've done a pre-doctoral fellowship and all of that. Like I, and I'm a big nerd. I just have to read everything. And I'm a parent who I had like one child who went through ADA and one who did not. Um, and before autism, we had developmental disability in my home. Like I mentioned, I have a child with intellectual disability. And a lot of times when people are saying things about profound autism, I'm like, take the sensory stuff off and you're talking about my kids. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I can understand a lot of these things. Um, but this is, so I will say that um, first I'll concede points to both to I hate to say both sides, but that's what I have to, I mean that's what it is. So when people say that the origins of ABA are problematic, that is the truth. I mean that's just the truth. I mean like 
um, that, you know, just like I could say, okay, I mean, America came in and stole this country from, you know, the indigenous tribes, and that's the truth, too. I mean, it may not be the way we want to see it now, but that is factual. Um, so the, the origins are problematic, period. And, you know, for a variety of reasons that, you know, we can all be figure out for ourselves. Um, I can also say that when parents say, well, that's not the kind of ABA my kids get, they're also being honest. There have been so many, um, you know, like uh, more natural developmental behavioral interventions that incorporate more of the, um, you know, things that are a little more you know, developmentally friendly, um, that utilize the natural environment, that use preferences that are, you know, more play-based. Um, you know, there are, you know, some people trying to infuse some trauma-informed, um, you know, things to where it's really more of an eclectic process. So if it's really the ABA that a lot of people's children are, are receiving today is what people would say that is called, quote-unquote, not ABA. And that is true in some cases and is not true in some cases. Because if, if, if insurance is only going to pay for ABA, then you're going to call whatever you got ABA, whether it's ABA or not. It might have some ABA data principles or whatever, but really a lot of what younger what people are receiving today, you know, in, in ABA is different than what people had, you know, several years ago, you know, many years ago. And, and they really, and there are still people doing the, the kind of like discrete trial training, old school, aversive, whatever type of ADA that happens to appear, but, it's, but you're less likely to find that. Most, um, you know, BCBAs and most, you know, um, registered behavior um, technicians are younger. Um, they come from a school of thought that's different and they're, um, they haven't like, they don't, they understand that you can incorporate concepts from other disciplines. Um, they just, but the problem is they call it all ABA for confused people. It also is true that um, there are certain things that are, that are easier or more effective with ABA. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that can't be taught in any kind of, kind of way, but I'm just going to say that um, I'll just give this example. So my family is, you know, West African. Um, I was born in the Midwest. My parents were in college. We lived, moved to the South. I live in the South now. And growing up, it's not like this now. And, you know, but when I was growing up, you would never see a black child in a store throwing a tantrum. And I'm not talking about meltdowns. You know, autism, you know, the meltdowns and tantrums are not the I'm throwing a tantrum because I want a toy. I want a cookie. Mommy won't give it to me. You would never see that. Mom would give you that side eye and you would shut the freak up. Because if you embarrass mom in that store, she's going to grab that shoe <laughs> when you get to the car and she's going to deal with you. You will be quiet. You will be, uh, you will sit there, no matter how much you want that toy and a cookie. The white child will be going crazy, screaming, crying, oh my God, I need a cookie. No, Johnny, calm down. Like, it was just like, and it was, and it was because black parents often, and it's not that it's a race thing, but this is, again, it's a very, uh, it's a view from the South of the time that I grew up as an exennial. Black people spanked their children. <laughs> white people didn't. That was, you just need to talk to them and reason with them. And, and so the kids that got spanked, they knew they could get spanked for getting embarrassed, was not going to act a freaking fool. The kid who knew they just might get a five-minute timeout, it's worth it. it I, I, I'm going to go ahead and have this tantrum because five minutes in a timeout corner is worth it for me to get this toy. <laughs> and so sometimes things that are effective um, doesn't mean they're necessarily looking at the, the totality of a person because while I won't say that it's abusive to spank kids, it, it's not, you know, whatever, but I'm saying, is it really the right approach or is it a one-size-fits-all? Like, could you have talked through that situation with that child? Do you have, does it have to be a spanking? Like, do you have to use something that, do you have to coerce them into behaving? Like, they're behaving because of the, of the consequences or because of how they've been trained. Or, and is that really, like, psychologically healthy? And so 
I would venture to say that that's why I saw a lot of people who were extremely obedient and respectful in front of their parents, but when their parents were around, they weren't until they got older. And again, this is what might have been also where I live. You know, we were, you know, social and economic status wasn't, you know, the greatest. So there could be not just race, but also income, you know, mixed into this and circumstances. But these same people, once they got bigger than their parents and their teachers and whoever else, were no longer respectful because what you had used to govern them was fear. And now that that no longer was effective, it didn't work. And so instead of, you know, talking about, well, you know, this cookie is not good, you know, for you, you already ate a snack, or, you know, this toy is really cheaply made, we can go home and have a research somewhere else, we can get a, a better toy, or instead of, like, using a person's brain, you know, like, working with them, um, respecting them enough to explain your reasoning, you just say no, and that's just it. And you don't need a reason, you just, it's just a no. And so I feel like there are certain, something can be effective and not necessarily ethical. Slavery was extremely effective economically, way better, way more, you know, effective than paying people for their labor, right? But it was horrible. It was wrong. Um, We've learned a lot of things from the horrible, abusive, disgusting, inhumane um, things that were done during the Holocaust for research, but that research, but that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it good. So I think that you can, ADA works a lot. Well, it it works and it doesn't work. It 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 can get results. At what cost? You know, and then, um, so I say that, like, I don't believe in this. Um, if someone asked me, I had no choice. I'm always one of those people that want to want clarification where they're like, if there's a person tied on a, a railroad and you've got to save the person or your dog stays, who, who do you say? Well, I want to know, is this a fee my dog? Because if that dog dies, they're killing a person too. Like, or what this person, is this person about to die? You know, like, this person, like, you know, has, you know, like, three weeks to live and so it won't really matter. You know, like, I need to know nuances. I can't just say yes or no. I just, I just can't answer. So if I was told ADA, do you, uh, do you recommend it? Yes or no? I'd really prefer to give a narrative answer. But if I had to give an answer, my answer would be no. But I would, or I'd say, can I say a no, but I would say this, that I'm not going to criticize or demonize any parent that's doing what they can for their baby to help their child. Um, that no matter what you're doing, ADA, more time, special ed, PPCD, OT, uh, you know, speech therapy, a combination of things, whatever you're doing, you should play therapy, you should be involved as a parent because they're, your, your child's less likely to be taken advantage of and harmed if you're involved, if you're watching, if you're closely paying attention, if you're actively involved in the, the, the treatment plan and the goals. Um, and so if they're going to do some other kid, maybe it won't be yours. Um, you have a right to change things, whatever you are trying to pull your child out or modify things of anything, it's your freaking money. Um, and your child, um, and if, if your choice is ABA or nothing, and your child's self-harming, and your child's eloping, and your child's, and you really don't have resources, and there's not really uh, much to offer, then I, am I supposed to look a parent in the eye and say, no, let your child run into the street and die? No, I'm not going to say that. If, if, it's, ABA, if it's ABA or nothing, and you need help, then maybe do the ABA, and I, maybe do some research, and maybe you can find some tactics or tools you can do at home, but I don't believe in, in demonizing parents. And then I don't think all ABA is, is trying to, you know, just extinguish autistic behaviors, although there are some that do. I do feel like ultimately there is like a, a coercive, abusive um, idea because you're building trust for the, idea, for the intent of changing a person. And I know everybody, you know, everything, life is about change. But I think at the core, the concept is I feel like it, it grooms someone for possible abuse um, because you're learning to be compliant. 
because you're learning to say what people want you to say and that you get, you get loved and rewarded if you do this when you perform. And because it takes, it's, you know, anything that can't look at the internal, anything that's you know, looking at external factors, you're, you're always going to miss something. You know, you're always going to miss something. You know, I just think about how many times that someone was doing ADA um, for someone thinking X was the reason or they were trying to escape or extinguish and this person was in pain and that's why they were acting out. It wasn't whatever they thought. But that could be the case with other therapies too. So like, I try to tell people when they go all hardcore and I actually just had like a thread on Twitter not long ago where someone was talking about ADA is always abuse. Um, I'm never going to be for it. I never want to hear about it. And I was like, you have to look at this in a more nuanced manner. You know, like as a person of color, I know, and as a parent, I know there aren't enough resources out there, period. You know, is it a flawed resource? Is it, again, there's a reason why I have one of my children in and, and the other I don't. Um, there are things that I've realized once I did more research and had to take a harder look at things that my son will never freaking pass. My daughter does. But I feel like there's certain things that I, that he didn't have to deal with sort of suffering, or I don't know, this sort of lingering after ADA effects that aren't going to be part of his life, um, that are part of hers, but it, but it meant that it wasn't as pretty a, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's not the inspirational and success story situation. And sometimes that's okay. You know, sometimes the scenic route is okay. And also, you know, we were talking about our last, uh, with our last guest about this, who's, uh, you know, like you would like to see more representation in the BIPOC community. Is that how you say it? Um, yeah. yeah. And she, she was telling us, you know, how people who are against ABA, often they don't realize that uh, many minorities, that's the only option they have. Mm-hmm. And by shutting down exactly. ABA, instead of just trying to make it better, you're taking that away from, you know, some people who have access to nothing. So, you know, it's Absolutely. better so to try much, and make this and better. That's frustrating. Yes, and I agree. In a lot of communities of color, and I say also in like geographically isolated locations where persons, there may not be, you know, racial diversity, it might be a whole bunch of white people, but it's just like because of where it's located. There are a lot of parents and families in situations where ABA is the only game in town, period. Now, in some cases, you might, a person might be able to, you know, say, okay, we're good. I'll homeschool. I'll do this. I'll do that. I've got a supportive family. I've got, you know, relatives. I've got, you know, patients or I've got understanding in this way or I've got, you know, some, I, I know people who've pulled their kids out and they've homeschooled or they've done, you know, different tactics, some, you know, whatever people do, what they need to do, you know, for their kids. I know I have, and I respect what people, but some people can't do that or it doesn't work. And there are instances where people have literally had, um, issues with child protective services because of the effect that it's seen as medical neglect if you're not using what's considered the quote-unquote gold standard of treatment. Um, but what I just feel like treatment, any kind of treatment, any kind of program should be individualized. And so to say that ABA is the treatment for autism is ridiculous. That's like saying, um, you know, um, stimulants are the treatment for ADHD. Well, no, they're a treatment that help a lot of people, but everyone doesn't need them. If we go back to the HIV example, there are tons, there used to be one thing that people could take back before, you know, any of us were born, AVP. And now they have several different types of classes of medication that work different ways and are options. Some work better for some people than others. If you just randomly put people on this because that's what you think is best, again, it's a whole thing about being a hammer, everything is like a nail. And so I feel like, um, I think also people don't understand that a lot of, and this goes back to the fact that autism is so whitewashed. Um, when we're talking about intersectionality, communities of color have always had to code switch, have always had to pretend, have always had to camouflage to stay alive. 
That's what, you know, and I venture to say immigrants as well, because I know that you're from France. So it's like, it's like you've always lived in a world that's kind of a little of both, never just one. And so as a result, you, you already have like a, a kind of like a broader perspective. And so I think that there's a lot of things that people have already had to accept and do, not that they want to, but survival, that we've already had to do in our communities anyway. So ABA is not like the worst of it. Like, I don't like the fact that I had to have the talk with my children. You know, the black, don't worry, you don't wear that hoodie anymore. You don't go in a group unless there's, you know, two of you, and if, there's, if there's more than two of you, and then both of us don't go, put your, don't put your hands in your pockets, don't do this, don't do that. I don't like, you know, if somebody spits on you and slaps you across your face, don't retaliate, don't ask them what the badge number is. Like, I don't like the fact that I had to have that talk with my, my older sons. I did, though. I don't like the fact that my parents had to have that talk with my brothers. Their, my parents weren't, aren't from the country, so they didn't have to have that talk with their they know their parents didn't have to talk with them, but I had that talk with them. I'm going to have to have that talk with my younger autistic child. And sadly, um, if he has children in the future or any, all of my children are going to have to have that talk. I don't want to. It freaking sucks, but it's necessary. Whether I like it or not, whether I agree with the concept, the premise behind it or not, I need to equip him with the information. And I think that's how a lot of people see it as ABA. Do they like everything about ABA? Like when you research it, it's origins. Or when you read some of the ways that people are talked about or discussed in the literature or the research, or when you, you know, like when you, if you dig into things, you may have some concerns or some difficulties. You're the therapist or provider you might have, like a great, nice, loving person that your kid loves, that you love, is like a part of your family, kid loves, excited to see them, start slapping. You may not have a problem with that individual person, but you might have a problem overall with the concept. But do you have options? Do you have alternatives? And most of us don't. And until you're going to, unless you, and that's why I push so hard for autistic people to be involved in research, you know, either as a community advocate or to go into the field. Because if, when we're at the table, like with HIV, the reason why HIV treatment has, has gone in, in, in the few decades that it has, has advanced so miraculously, the reason why I went to my death sentence is something that literally people don't even qualify for disability anymore, like a chronic illness, you know, is because of, because people, the stakeholders were at the table and when, and they were saying, this is what's necessary and this is what works and this doesn't work and that's crap and that's great and so on. And they were involved and they had a real role, not a tokenistic role, where they could make change, where they were being listened to, that they had lived expertise, not just the degrees. They might have had, some of them had that too, a lot of them didn't. And we don't have that with autism. And I'm like, y'all are screaming and fighting on the internet, which I'm not telling you not to. It's a platform. But where are you? Are, are you involved? Are you enrolled in somewhere where you're helping to develop programs that can help people? Where you're looking at concepts or where you're researching things? Or like you say, you're trying to make ADA better. Like there are a lot of people who are involved in reforming it and making changes. And, um, and some people think, no, you can't change something that's automatically, that's just totally ruined. Um, and some people, and, and you know, and I venture to feel otherwise. I mean, it's not going anywhere. It's not going away. It's not. And so do you want to complain about it? Or do you want to make it to where it's less harmful? Like, uh, and I know everybody has a different point of view. I'm not trying to, like, make it a simple thing. But ultimately, like, our kids are growing up. They're, people spend more of their life as adults than they do as, as children. And so what impact am I, you know, I believe, I'm a solution-based person. I want to, I, can, I don't have a problem with people pointing out the problem, breaking down the problem. You know, um, you know, like, you know, giving all this context about the problem. That's important, right? It's necessary for prevention. But that, that's not where I stop. I need to keep going. I need to know what next. What can we do? 
what you know and if you can't give me something i'm gonna make something i'm gonna figure something out i'm gonna work with something if you if your answer is well i don't know whether if there's anything well that's not an acceptable answer for most parents who love their kids and want to see them thrive they're gonna be like that's that's not gonna work okay well i don't want to hear what you have to say i'm gonna just go with this then i have a question for you it has sure. nothing to do with this but um <laughs> so you you went to the white house i mean that's pretty crazy right how was it like so it was weird I, so I got invited um, to, um, and it was actually twice, but the one, one was the real big one. And it was so that um, they were basically, there was a, a, an inaugural, and unfortunately they never, they didn't continue a second year. But they were doing a, um, a you know, symposium on um, like disability parenting. And so they wanted to hear from parents with various different types of abilities, sensory, physical, neurological, et cetera, about, um, you know, barriers, circumstances, um, you know, um, you know, are, are things that we were dealing with and like, you know, and ways to help. Um, and it was just really, so first it was just to get the email. I was like, is this real? Is this fake? Like, <laughs> it was so weird. I'm thinking, uh, what? You know, so that was really intense. And so, but it, you know, and then they have, they make you jump through like a million hoops before you can even like, um, sign up online to the thing that they do all these checks and all this stuff. And then you still have to, even when they've cleared you and they sent you all these, these secure things that you have to fill out all these five million things. And I didn't even listen to other. You still have to go through a special clearance to even get into the building when you're there. And so, um, you know, and so it was just really, to me, it was just really powerful to be able to share. Um, and, and it was so funny because like I had, I had it all planned out. I had the speech written out that was going to be perfect that I was going to read. And then we had a bomb threat that morning. So we had to evacuate our hotel. <laughs> and we couldn't go back to, I grabbed my clothes, thank goodness. But we couldn't go back to the hotel. So that speech that I wrote, that was so eloquent, so well written, had all these resources that I was going to cite and sound so intelligent, was left back at the hotel. Now I had to speak in front of the world with no speech. <laughs> and so I had to just give it on the fly. I was terrified because, um, of course, I did not have memorized it. So I just spoke from the heart. And I just talked about, you know, a lot of the, ch the challenges. I talked about the, the issue uh, in terms of the uh, disenfranchisement of, of disabled parents. And, um, you know, like, just, it was just a lot of things. And it was just really, it was moving to be there with other parents, with other people. It was, you know, it was, it was also very ironic because if one of the speakers, we, we had to present out of order because one of the speakers could not get an accessible Uber. And so we're still waiting to try to get there <laughs> to get to the place, to get to the White House from the street because of the fact that in New Washington, D.C., this person couldn't, couldn't find one that could transport their wheelchair. So it's just like, you know, it's kind of like, wow, this, this is really sad. Like, you know, like this is just telling about how, you know, again, how little accessibility there is in this world. But to be able to speak on behalf of, of you know, families at large and about, you know, about disability, about you know, how we shouldn't be ashamed and we need supports and we need more services for her like not. It was just, it's, it's, I'm grateful. I mean, I grew up a few doors down from a crack house. So, and then I'm, and now I'm speaking in the White House, you know, like that's like a blessing. You know what I mean? I, I felt like I was giving a voice to, you know, um, autism families, autistic adults to, you know, to, you know, racial and gender minorities. And I'm just grateful that, um, you know, the, you know, like a lot of the things that we discussed were, were, you know, like a lot of the organizations took notes back and they implemented things. And I just really, I think it's important for people to share their voice and their perspective. Um, you know, when you can, you know, self-care is important too, but 
things can't change unless we change them. That's uh, that's incredible, though. I can't believe you had that uh, that experience. I mean, it's, it just seems so surreal from my, my experience, from wow. my perspective. Okay, okay. <laughs> Especially being French and being like, oh my God, she, she was like in the White House, you know, the United States of America. I had never even been inside it. Like, you know, a lot of people do the whole, you know, eighth grade um, right. a, a tour to DC, saying where you go and you go to the group and you can. But, you know, and we, we had that when I was in school. Uh, I was undiagnosed autism at the time, but A, that would have been too overwhelming. <laughs> like, just a sensory nightmare aspect of it. it, it all these transitions and changes. But B, we couldn't afford it. So I didn't go. So those of us who couldn't afford to go on the trip, we stayed and we watched movies and did topics, you know, <laughs> we did. So I had never been, you know, to, I've never been, I've been inside the state capitol, you know, the Texas state capitol um, with um, one of the organizations that I worked with and doing some advocacy with, um, with the youth. But I've never been in, so that was not only my first time um, speaking in the White House, my first time ever going inside of it. And I'm just in there and I'm just looking around at history. I'm looking at the, the, um, you know, like the architecture and the paintings on the wall and the, all these things that I'm thinking, well, I wouldn't have even been allowed in this place, like in another time, you know, in the world, you know what I mean? And now I'm speaking, it just, it just was really moving. And I just made me great. Like people can do anything, you know, people do have limitations, people do have challenges. And so there are certain people who couldn't be there. And so I make a point if I'm like, okay, if they're not able to be here, they can't share their perspective and damn it, I'm going to share it for you. You know what I mean? Because your voice deserves to be heard. Everyone can't be, doesn't get these, um, these opportunities. And so you can't be in a situation where you've given this platform to have, um, to be able to share your voice and only share your own. You've got to share that of, you know, collectively of the people who are, you know, like, and, and I've started to, you know, a few years back, I, or I started to do something where I would not appear at any conferences if they didn't have a, a non-speaking um, person that was a non-speaking uh, or AAC using individual um, who was intimately involved, either as a speaker, as a planner, or in some way. Because I'm thinking um, there is a significant amount of the autistic community that does not speak. There is a significant amount of the autistic community that has intellectual disability. And again, those things are not necessarily mutually exclusive, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, so everybody that you have here has graduate degrees and speaks fluently. You know, when, when we know that that's not the reality, even for speaking people, I know a lot of the time I lose my words. I do most of my meetings, you know, with my camera off and typing in the chat because it's just too, I don't have the space to talk all the time. So why, would they, why present a reality that's not people's reality? I don't understand going up somewhere, you're autistic, and you're going on a stage or you're going on a platform, and you, are, you can't discern the difference between the autistic person and the non-autistic people. How is anybody looking at that supposed to relate or think that they can ever be that way or their child can ever be that way? It doesn't, it's not realistic. We need to be our authentic selves, and our authentic selves need to be at these tables because it's our table. Thanks so much for sharing with us uh, today. I think it was our uh, longest and more in-depth podcast. And we talked about so many things and you shared like some perspectives we've never heard before. And that was just, uh, it was nice. And we did we did it without yelling at each other. That was really cool. Okay, so Uh, now we have to yell. I need to say, oh my gosh, you're just a horrible person. You abuse your children. You suck. They should take your children away, or whatever, whatever the, the thing that people are supposed to say. And you're supposed to say that I'm um, a high functioning snowflake and something. Like that. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> you got to have some insults because then nobody will listen. No, I don't mind when people call me high functioning, but uh, the snowflake. You know, the thing that's uh, interesting is um, you, the, the thing that's interesting to me is like some people obviously present differently, 
But so like, I guess to me, the reason why I, one of the reasons I hate functioning labels like high and low is because, so again, being from the black community, um, there are terms that people use like for things like in the South anyway, they were, they would say quote unquote, has such and such has good hair, which is a certain type of hair texture that's softer, curlier. And so everything opposite of good is bad. Right. And that's actually what they call bad hair, nappy hair, whatever, whatever. Um, it's the texture that the texture that majority of, of, that I won't say majority, but a, a great deal of black people have is like Afro type of texture like mine, is that they're bad and the softer, curlier texture is that they're good. If someone's eyes are hazel or blue or light brown, they're called pretty eyes. What's the opposite of pretty? It's ugly. It's not okay. It's ugly. So if your eyes are dark brown, like, again, the majority of black people, then it's ugly. And then they also had terms for like, you, you call people high yellow. So someone who is lighter skinned, instead of saying this person's lighter skinned or they're caramel colored or they're whatever, whatever, this is high yellow. This is, you know what I mean? We tell people, uh, you know, um, black is charcoal, or black and, cr- and crispy or whatever, whatever these kind of terms. And I'm thinking, I don't like those, those types of comparisons. The person who is light skinned is just as important and beautiful as the person who is dark skinned. The person with, the, with this texture here, do you have some hair on your head? Say, yay. You know what I mean? It's going to be different. Difference does not mean bad. But these terms, when you say high, the opposite of high, the opposite of high is low. Who wants to be called low? Um, and the people that I've met who are considered low-functioning or who are considered, um, like I know I've got, you know, friends and colleagues who are non-speaking, um, have 24-hour AIDS and care, who um, have a lot of self-injurious behavior, um, have a lot of seizures, um, have intellectual disability, and things of that nature. And they talk about how when hearing themselves being talked about that way as a kid or even now, how harmful it was, but they didn't have the ability to communicate. And most of them had, didn't know how to use AAC, didn't really communicate in a way that people could understand. People didn't know what they did and didn't understand. And they didn't understand everything. I mean, no one, I think it's no one understands everything. Um, but, you know, so intellectual capacity can vary. But, so, I, you know, so, I feel okay. like, so uh, let's say... Oh, oh, oh I'm going to interrupt you. So, but isn't that the entire reason why the IDD community, right, um, came up with person first language in the first place. Now, I'm not saying that's my preference, but again, if we want to talk about the history of some things, you know, we, we shouldn't, you know, pick and choose, right? The history of person first language came from that exact good place, right? And I think yeah, there's... Like, same again, same, like, it's interesting to me that people want to hold on to that, but that same community, those same people who were intellectually disabled, the same people who were very um, disenfranchised, who had a lot of challenges, are the same ones who demanded and wanted to have, they're the same ones who did the, who led and the, the um, you know, community integration, the, the um, you know, deinstitutionalization movement and the, um, you know, the, you know, the removal of sub-minimum wages. These people were fighting for that. It's like people want to put, they, they want to say, well, person with autism is more respectful or whatever, whatever. But at the same time, oh, but these people must be in an institution. That's the only way to serve such a person. You've got to have this. Oh, they only, some people can only work for $7, 7 pennies on the dollar. That's all they can earn. You're taking away the opportunity to grow. I'm like, no, people, the same people that you're talking about said, no, that's not what the hell I want. I just wasn't able to tell you before. Now that I can talk, type, whatever, those of us who can, we don't want that. But no one wants to hear that. It's, it's like, it's a parent, I'm a parent, but I'm not my child's voice. I think I know a whole lot. Not I think. I know I know a whole lot about my children, but I don't know every freaking thing. They're their own opinion. You know what I mean? My daughter, her favorite color for the longest time was pink, and now it's become purple. You know what I mean? I know she likes purple, but like, it switched. She knew that. I didn't know that because she hadn't told me. 
You know what I mean? We can't know, no one can know everything about anyone else. And so uh, um, I agree. Like the, I, I feel like it's wrong for people to bash people for personal language. I personally just don't like it. It doesn't sound right. Personal with autism. Personal with autism. Personal, you know, like when you read it, it's clunky. It just takes up so much space. Like in English, we use adjectives and adverbs before the noun. We don't use them after. If that was, it, it may not sound odd in another language where they're saying, you know, where, where the, the descriptor always comes after. But that's not the case with English. It just looks too, it takes up too much space and it just looks ridiculous and you're trying to hide from it. But like I said, to me, it's the reason. If you're saying personal autism too much because you like it or if what you're used to and you don't feel that you're separating yourself from autism and it's a horrible thing and you want to kill yourself, then, that's the, then you don't have self-hatred. You can say autistic all day, all night, and you can have tons of self-hatred. You know, using identity first language doesn't mean that you're, like, woke. You know what I mean? Like, you're just really, you know, you could be, you have major issues. And I think that people should not police what people want to call themselves. If someone wants to call themselves a high-functioning autistic, let them call themselves a high-functioning autistic. I don't want them to call me that. You know, let me call, let me choose just with pronouns. Let's be respectful. And so I don't like how people say, oh, you shouldn't say Ashley. You know, don't tell them what they should or shouldn't say. Maybe they got diagnosed when it was still DSM-4. And maybe the diagnosis on that paper says Asperger's. Are you going to tell them that's not what it says? Because, I mean, I know Asperger's technically doesn't exist anymore. But, again, let's, not, there's all, let's look at the fact that globally things are different. You know, everyone acts like the U.S. is the center of the world. And there's other places where terms mean different things. And I tell people, you know, you shaming and being horrible at the puzzle piece. Tell people about the history of the puzzle piece about, you know, and not the, the, the whitewashed nonsense that Thomas McCain says, but the real history before that, you know what I mean? I, and yes, so that they can know the, that it has a problematic history, but then also realize people may use it, people like to repurpose things. Queer used to be a huge slur. The LGBTQ, um, you know, society community took it back and said, no, we're going to use it for some black. Used to be a horrible thing to say. You wouldn't dare call somebody black unless you want to get a fight. You call them colored or Negro. James Brown and, and a lot of people like in, you know, that whole say a lot on black and I'm proud. That was like very, you know, radical. That's what people don't understand. A person first language was very radical and it still can be as we see with the HIV community. It's about the reason you use the term, not the term itself. And so I think there is no reason to call anybody low. There is no reason to call anybody severe. So if the person can understand you, you're hurting their feelings. If they understand the concept of high and low, high is up, low is down, beneath. And if they don't understand you, then you're talking about your child like that in front of these other people. Shouldn't you err on the side of caution and just assume, I don't know if my kid knows that they, if they understands this or not. But I'm never going to speak about my child in a way that if they understood me, they'd feel belittled. I'm not going to pretend like my child doesn't have whatever you know, gifts and challenges. You know, I'm not telling anybody to be unrealistic. I'm not saying that somebody should say that someone has an IQ that they don't or someone has um, abilities that they don't. I'm just saying find a way to call it to say it respectfully. Um, there's a book called What to Expect When You're Expecting. I read that book. Because um, that's, that's what I tell everybody to read when you're pregnant. When I read that book, they talked about how more primitive cultures carry their babies on their back or sleep with their babies in their bed. I'm thinking the more primitive cultures they were talking about are mine, my African culture. That's what they said. They talked about how you need to have your baby sleep on their own if you're, if you're any kind of person. It's so interesting to me because now all the attachment parenting stuff is the same stuff that my, my people have been doing for, for, you know, centuries, you know, thousands of years that was so primitive, but now it's cool. Now people are spending, um, you know, three figures on buying these things to carry their baby or co-sleeping and co-this and, and you know, um, letting the baby self-wing. But that was primitive. You know what I mean? When I was pregnant. So couldn't somebody have said in non-Western 
or in West African, or you could, you know, what's the word that you're using? How coded is that word? I, I still remember that to this day. I was pregnant. My daughter's 13. And I remember reading them calling me primitive. And it hurt. And it still hurts. I remember being a little girl who picked up um, crayons, and they said flesh on them. And I, they don't look a damn thing like my flesh. Same thing with the pantyhose. Or picture day, you get a comb, and it doesn't go through your hair. People need to think about everyone's not the same. You can speak about difference in a respectful way. I don't have any love or, or any um, respect for a parent that's going to say that my son is nothing but a four-year-old in a 20-something-year-old body while your son's right there. My son is stupid. He'll never live on his own. My son smears his feet all over the place. I'm thinking, how disrespectful? How dare you say that? You know, can't you say, oh, my son has intellectual disability. He cannot read or he cannot, that he needs a lot of support. You know, my son, and the thief thing, nobody needs to know that. It's not their effing business. You know what I mean? Would you say that about your child if they weren't autistic? Would you say about your non-autistic child if they developed, if they had a car accident, or if they developed um, ALS, or if they had a traumatic brain injury or got shot and now were incontinent or whatever, would you say that stuff? No, the hell you wouldn't. Why does everything go when it comes to autism? I'm sorry, y'all. I'm on, I just got on a rant. See, when my husband's babysitting the kids and I have time to do stuff, I, I, I actually have too much time to myself and my brain's just going. And professionally, right? That that's why I don't like it. Somebody says there's their person's high functioning. Yeah. Like who wants to think of their individual as low functioning? Nobody. But like yeah. that doesn't mean anything. Unfortunately, in like most states, it's like, okay, but what's the IQ? Right. And 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 I don't care what yeah, your actual exactly. IQ is. I, I mean, literally, like, oh, it's 69. Great. You're gonna get tons of funding, services, and support for the rest of your life. Oh, it's 70. Uh, there's a 200 year wait list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I feel testing is so inaccurate for people who are non-speaking and for people of color. Yes. Like there's so many people who, you know, like a Sharifa Kochmeyer and so many people who are who were supposed to be, you know, unable to read. And yeah, you know, when they learned when they were able to use AAC, people were like, wow, these people are actually intellectually gifted, or and some are not. Intellectual intellectual disability is a thing. You know what I mean? Like you said, but it's like we don't even know. First of all, those if those if the IQ is accurate when a person has communication challenges. There's so many things you can't figure out about the person. They may have um, an, IQ that, an IQ that's average. They might have one that's below average. They might have one that's above. We really truly can't know. But people assume, just on the basis of communication or behaviors, they assume a lot. And a lot of what they're assuming is wrong and unfair and usually negative. So I'll do the quick fire questions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to do quick fire questions. I should probably, yeah, I should probably get home too. So, but anyways, okay. I'm going to shut up. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. Did I say it? Oh, no. sorry. Did you say sorry? No, you definitely didn't mean sorry. Shut up, yes. So. Oh, well. You can cut that out. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, I'm going to ask you some uh, quick fire questions. Uh, if you haven't listened to our podcast yet, basically, I'm, I'm going to ask you five very, well, Simple questions, but that's uh, subjective. And you give me the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house by Audre Lorde. But it was given by a professor. What do you like to do to relax? I like to read transcripts. Like I like scripts, like screen, like the Obama scripts because it's overwhelming for me to hear stuff. I like to listen to music, you know, like a lot. I like to, um, I, I, I sometimes will write. Um, and um, if I have, if I'm able to go somewhere, like I like to be at the beach. Like that's my favorite place. 
Is glow in the dark a color? Why or why not? Oh, wow. Um, to me, no. I mean, it's, it's glowing, but it could be green. It could be yellow. Could okay, be okay. To so clarify, that is the glow in the dark when the lights are on, right? When you see that, is that a color? Uh, when oh, you see I it, see you know it's glow in the dark, dark right? Okay, so sometimes it depends on the material. Like, you know, there's some shirts or backpacks or whatever. You can tell that it's a glow-in-the-dark thing. Even if it's not really glowing. It has, like, this weird tint to it or shape. So it's like kind of you know it's something that's glow-in-the-dark, even if it's not necessarily glowing. <laughs> that's a good point, actually. So who's your favorite BIPOC mm-hmm. advocate and why? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, there's so many um, that um, it's hard to select. Um, I mean, I love Anita Cameron because she's one of the old school, you know, like luminaries. You know, she was in Crip Camp and, you know, was was involved in ADAPT and all of these different things with disability. You know, as a black autistic woman, one of the ones who's been around for many years. But right now, um, Hari Srinivan is, um, oh gosh, I always say his name wrong. All these years I've known him. Rennie Boston, I think, um, is probably someone because I love how he brings the perspective of a, you know, a very, you know, Obviously, you know, you know, obviously racialized person of color, um, young. Um, he has a lot of, you know, needs. He's minimally speaking, um, but he's like involved in things like research and he's involved in educating others while still having, a, you know, meeting and having strong family support. Like, I love that, you know, he, I, I love his example um, and, and what it can mean for a parent. Because I think there's a lot of people who don't think that their child will be able to go to college or do this thing or do that thing. Um, and I think he's, he's showing people, you know, that, you know, give your child a little bit more credit than you think, you know what I mean? Like they might be able to do more than you think. Our kids can really surprise us. You know, they can, they, they, you know, can, they can exceed our expectations, you know, a lot of times, with, you know, in different ways. Tell us where we can uh, find you on social media. Oh, sure. So I'm on social media. I'm at Morena KGO. So it's spelled like more Nike and then go like go away. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm a sporadic social media user. I should use it more. I'm totally not um, good about posting regularly. I may like be off it for weeks at a time, but I'm on Twitter. I am on Instagram. I don't really use it much. I, it's just, I don't have the spoons for uh, TikTok, although I like it. Um, I have some videos on YouTube, like some of my speeches and whatnot. It's the same thing. It's um, YouTube. Again, it's Morena KGO. And I have a website and it's um, morenakgo.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. That was, that was amazing.